2: anyway.
1: I didn't feel
0: so great Until I saw the city
1: Welcome back to Straight from the Source, Michael Russo. Thanks as always for tuning in. My guest today, John Forslund, the first voice television play-by-play guy for the Seattle Kraken starting in the fall. Longtime play play-by-play guy for the Carolina Hurricanes. Started with the Hartford Whalers. Um, got his start way back in the day with the Springfield Indians. And he was in town here uh, to do the NBC game, uh, game one of the Vol- Vegas Golden Knights and the Minnesota Wild. So, John and I, on sun- Saturday after I landed, uh, the smart guy that I am, I decided to walk over to his hotel, do this podcast in about 95 degrees sun right by outside the pool. And in the middle of the podcast, you'll see uh, my cell phone dies, my laptop dies. So, I essentially had to wing the podcast, although. Uh, a lot of the great Twitter questions that you guys asked me, I probably didn't get to because everything that I had fried in the sun. So uh, really apologize for that. But it's a fun podcast. We talked, obviously, Wild and Golden Knights, the playoffs as a whole, his new gig in Seattle, his time with the Carolina Hurricanes uh, last year, um, 15 months ago he was actually staying in Rudy Gobert's hotel room right after him, after the Utah Jazz was in Detroit, the Carolina Hurricanes were, and uh, the NBA shuts down, and, and uh, John Forslund finds out from the longtime Carolina PR guy, Mike Sunheim that he was staying in the room of Rudy Gobert, and he had to go into full isolation. And that was obviously when we found out, uh, you know, when we didn't know a ton about this illness, so he was uh, really – Uh, worried for a while, but wound up uh, not testing positive and having no symptoms as well. But we talk about that, how he got a start. He gives uh, aspiring broadcasters some real good advice as well. Uh, Tells us how he unearthed some of his signature signature calls, like uh, that's hockey baby and hey, hey, what do you say? Um, and uh, so it's just a real fun podcast. So hopefully you enjoy this. Um, we've, we recorded that before game one. It is now the morning after game one. Wild one nothing overtime victory in game one of the first round of the playoffs against the Vegas Golden Knights. Yule Eriksson gets the overtime winner. 320 in his second career playoff goal. First a uh, career overtime uh, winner in the playoffs as well. A great play after he lost a draw for, by Greenway and Foligno. Felino really to pick it off and Greenway to get it back, take it down low and set up uh, Erickson Eck for a goal that uh, it felt like the only way the Wild were going to beat Marc-Andre Fleury on that day was sort of a broken play because Fleury was seeing everything clean. And here we are, a shot that just caroms in off the skate of Alec Martinez. Fleury had no shot on after a brilliant performance as well. Cam Talbot gets the 42 save shutout. Um, a, a, just a really strong performance from a guy that I think that there was a little concern going into the playoffs just because he is somebody that had given up 24 goals in his last four, uh, six starts before that. But he comes in, he gets 40 two saves gets the shutout his fifth of his career in front of his wife uh, who's uh, a lot of the wild wives are actually here in vegas and that might be a cool story that i'll be working on here uh today and so uh just a really great performance by cam what i really liked about the wilds game is their maturity of their game yesterday i mean they didn't panic they were obviously severely outplayed in the back half of the first period i thought the first half was even back half one-sided uh, in vegas way um, uh, Talbot came up strong. There looked to be some jittery guys in the ice, the Susies, the Sturms to start off with, but then they settled down and had great games. Like I thought, Susie and Cole was outstanding. I thought the. Brodine was just amazing. I thought Suter played one of his best games um, that I've ever seen him play in the playoffs. Just strong. Spurgeon was good as always. And for the most part, the Wild had a lot of good performances. Uh, the Fiala Rask and um, and Johansson line uh, really struggled at times. But otherwise, from that point on, uh, the, the Wild, uh, you know, for the most part, got really good play. I love the play of Zuccarello yesterday. A lot of great defensive plays as well. Um, Kaprizov played another strong game where he dished it out. So uh, just really cool. Stuff from Game One, and we'll see if they can carry that momentum into Tuesday night's uh, Game Two. Um, interesting thing, also today, is the Wild are actually going to practice. This is going to be their—they uh, they practiced the day before the playoffs, but before that, they hadn't practiced in like three weeks. And it was the players that apparently actually said that they wanted to get out of the hotel today in Vegas and practice at 11 a.m. and not stick around. If It would have been like a day and a half if they didn't practice. So that also just shows the leadership inside that locker room. Um, other news going on. Obviously, Zach Parisi didn't play the first game of the playoffs. That was just uh, amazing to see for a guy that's the all-time leading playoff scorer in wild history. As we've talked on this podcast before, that is going to have to uh, come to a head at some point this summer and be addressed And uh, the Black Aces will be meeting the team uh, Wednesday in St. Paul. The guys that I hear the Wild are considering bringing up are uh, Matt Boldy, Hunter Jones, Louis Belpedio, Kalen, Kalen Addison, Brandon Duhame. And uh, Connor Durr, So uh, so those will be the guys that'll come up. They'll be largely kept from the group. They'll be practicing over at TRIO where the Wild all year have been practicing over uh, at XL Energy Center just to keep the back and forth uh, commuting during a pandemic uh, uh, for the trainers and everybody to a limited few as well. Um, so that's why they've practiced at the X all year. So good game one victory. Uh, the wild, uh, you know, some would say would steal it. I wouldn't say they were severely outplayed, uh, the second or third periods by any stretch. I thought the wild had the better of the looks in the second and third period. But again, uh, just, a you know, important win to get that game one, something the wild actually rarely do in their playoff rounds that end usually in first round exits. So maybe this year will be different without further ado. Here's John Forslund. Well, John, uh, man, this is, uh, this is perfect. Like, uh, what are the chances that you were going to be staying at the hotel right next to my hotel in Vegas? There's like a thousand hotels here. Um, super best laid beautiful plans, day Michael. I know best,
0: best late plans.
1: Um, wow. Well, first of all, I, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, um, no it's problem. the other funny thing about where you're staying is. So, I, I, I told you I wanted to get your actual reaction on the podcast, but I told you I had a funny story to start off this podcast. So, John's hotel is right across the street from the Elite Medical Center, and I've told this story many times on probably a couple different podcasts, but. A couple years ago, I went to a uh, wedding in Costa Rica, and it was the same exact, it was January, it Was I was in Costa Rica when the Niederreiter Rass trade happened, okay? So, I fly, I have to meet the team in Vegas after the wedding, and I fly from Costa Rica all the way to Atlanta and connect to here. So, it was like 10 hours of flying. Well, I land here, and I can't walk. I mean, I cannot walk. It takes me 10 minutes to wow. limp from the gate to the airport. I get to the hotel. I'm like, this is bad. Like my right calf was just, it was just brutal. So naturally I go on WebMD and try to diagnose myself. I decide that I have that deep vein thrombosis, you know, where you get like a, where you get like a blood clot in your leg. And so now I'm like working myself up and I wind up going to this elite medical center and I spend like seven hours there. They put me through the whole, like, workup and all this stuff. And then the guy, the doctor comes in, and I'm, like, ready for him to tell me, like, we're going to rush you to a real hospital and blah, blah, blah. He goes, all right, you have a pulled calf. Uh, can you sign here? I had a pulled muscle in my cab, <laughs> calf. Calf. Not only that, yeah, exactly. Now not only was did I have a pulled calf, but the Blue Cross Blue Shield wouldn't cover it because it's like you know a private hospital, yeah. and like next thing I know, I get like a, a bill in the mail for like eighty five hundred bucks. Oh my god! So I had to negotiate that down. Okay. Wow! What so, are the tables? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Huh? So. That was the only trip I've ever been to Vegas where I've lost that type of money and and uh, didn't even spend a minute in wow. the casino. You know? So that was uh, so I as I'm this walking. Here, I'm like, yeah, so I'm walking, and I'm like, your room's probably overlooking the yeah. hospital that I was yeah. in. So John, um first most important question is uh, who do you think the uh, wild are gonna lose in the expansion draft? Wow. To <laughs> so your oh, Seattle Kraken. Yeah. Ronnie hasn't divulged this to you? No, no, no. Oh, okay. Good luck with anything there, right?
0: <laughs> like, you're better off discovering the combination of Fort Knox and yeah, right. information out of Ron Francis. I, I don't know. I mean, if you go by past history with the Golden Knights, you can go a variety of ways. Uh, he can get to a trade. He can get to a prospect. Or he can yep. get to a player you know, of, of value right away. And I, I, I really don't know. I mean, you'd have to look at it a lot harder than I have. Yeah. Uh, just concentrating on getting through this season. And uh, looking forward to the playoffs, um, I don't have an answer for that
1: one. It's yeah, good yeah. Question. He should have you. Uh, he should have you scout these games uh, from. Uh,
0: he wants to win, two. Mike.
1: Yeah, I know. <laughs> winning is important. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I wouldn't do that. So, John, uh, John is uh, in town. He's doing uh, obviously the wild game on NBC on yeah. Sunday with uh, Pierre McGuire and Joe Mickletti, the uh, better half of the Pat Uh <laughs> And uh, and then this is the beginning of a long stretch for you uh, yeah. working with NBC. Yeah, this is the first
0: of – tomorrow will be the first of six straight days or nights. Uh I'll lose track of the days and nights because I'm going to do the the noon local game here with the Wild tomorrow. Then Colorado-St. Louis on Monday night. I'll be on-site in Pittsburgh Tuesday, back to the studios for Colorado-St. Louis Wednesday, to Long Island on Thursday, back to the studios for Friday, resuming that St. Louis, Colorado series. And then my son graduates in Pennsylvania from college on Sunday. So I'm going to take Saturday, Sunday off and be back in Pittsburgh if needed for game five, uh, Islanders and Penguins on Monday. And that's where the schedule ends. And then we're going to pick up from there.
1: Wow. I mean, that's uh, yeah. that's a ton of travel. Yeah. Uh, a ton of prep, too. Yeah. That's a thing. Yeah. I mean, how how, how do you do that? Series. Because it's not a lot of sleep. That's it's not the hard a, yeah. part.
0: That's the hard part because uh, the travel and the sleep – Uh, really dig into that and you
1: need hours,
0: about four hours per game to prep day before day of, uh, for me to be ready to do a game and to feel comfortable. And that's what it really is all about. If I'm not, if I'm not there, I, I feel anxious. I'm not right. Uh, so I need that time to feel like I'm equipped to do the game. And so when you're jumping multiple series like this and trying to keep track of what's going on when they simultaneously are playing at the same time, it's, it's difficult. So yeah. it's a, the first round is always a, a circus and then it will
1: trim down as we move on. So th- uh, you know, obviously, we're still hopefully hitting the uh, the the light at the end of the tunnel of this pandemic. Yeah. Um. But I'll tell you what, like, uh, you know, last year you did just such a great job in the bubble. Thank like, you. In both Toronto and Edmonton. Um. You traveled. You started in Toronto, right? I and did. Then you went. Yeah. and then you wound up in Edmonton. I did. Um. And then at the end, you were doing uh most was it was it almost like sideline work or? or yeah, I did. The-
0: Pierre and I had a segment in the okay. pregame show. That's what it was. Um. And that's what it was. And I was there as a um safety valve in case the equipment didn't right. work for Doc. And so I sat there ah. in the chair right next to Edzo and uh, living vicariously through Doc's call. But I was so happy to see it all the way through after being through the entire thing. 70 straight days. Um, remarkable experience. And I think as I look back at that, that's one of the highlights of my career.
1: Yeah. And, and a lot of people wouldn't think that. I mean, most yeah. people like their tendency in life is to just bitch and moan when you're trapped in a bubble. Yeah. But well, you, uh, you enjoyed it.
0: My 2020 was interesting, starting with the the quarantine Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz and being in his room in Detroit. Wow. And that kicked off the pause for me, 14 days in isolation at home. And then my contract went awry, and that was difficult. And so then I found myself working solely for NBC in a position I never thought I'd be. But thank God I I did. And it, it turned out to be a remarkable experience from the very beginning, from the first game Brian Boucher and I did high noon, uh, uh, Rangers in Carolina. That was the very first game, but after four months off and going into an arena with no fans and wondering how, you know, you're going to sound weird. Or are you going to sound real? How's this going to work? Uh, and then doing another quarantine in Toronto for five days where I never left my hotel room when I first got there, it was way too much time to think yeah. about my life and my career and all of that. Anyway, worked out fine. It was a remarkable experience. I was right there to the very end, and thankfully so. And then we went into the off season, and more changes came.
1: Yeah, you were um, in Detroit. You, were, you guys stay at the Westin. Yeah, was the it? book okay. Cadillac. Yeah. How? Like, I've always wondered that. So, how did how did you first find out that you were actually in Rudy's room? I mean, did they, did the well? What happened was
0: um, the Canes were supposed to play New Jersey. And so we went from detroit to new jersey sat there for a day the game was on the thursday when the league paused and uh okay in the afternoon i got up and i did all my prep because the league never made a call to around one o'clock i think it was so then we got the word to get on the buses. we're going home the two buses obviously the team bus the media bus so i get on the media bus i sit the very back and um, a bunch of our crew gets on and they're sitting uh, right around me in that and Mike Sunheim, the media relations director, gets on and says, kicks everybody off and says he has to talk to me, you know, alone. And I was like, wow, I'd say something. I, I, maybe this was the end, right? right. They're finally going to get me. Yeah, right. They're finally going to
1: let me go. After a gazillion years. After all know. these yeah. years,
0: right? No, but he said you were directly exposed to the virus. You were in the room of Rudy Gobert. You know who that is? And I, I of course, knew because yeah, of what right. had gone on the previous few days with him kind of throwing shade at it and the, the pause for the NBA in Oklahoma City and all that. So I was like, wow, okay, now what? And he said, we'll get on the phone with our doctor and see what the next steps are. So I called Dr. Josh Bloom back in Carolina. He's our family physician too. And I said, what do we do next? He says, go home and we're going to put you on the phone with one of our specialists. There's not much we can do. Do you have any symptoms? I said, no. If you get symptoms, you can be tested. If not, we can't test you. Yeah. So that was the real issue, right? At that time, it was such a such a joke yeah. all over the country. Yeah. And so I went home and uh, was in my basement for two weeks. And, you know, everybody was coming back from college and I could hear them upstairs and, Man. you know, laughing at dad downstairs. But that's basically what it was. And, uh, again, way, way too much time to think.
1: And you never tested positive, right? Never did. Oh, yeah. Never yeah. had
0: a symptom. I, I, my allergies kicked in and I thought, um, is this it? Yeah, and then you wake up in the middle of the night and you're like, "Do I feel all right?" You know, you're yeah, you're, of
1: course. Psychology Especially at that it. point,
0: yeah, the psychology yeah. of it goes to work. Um, but anyway, I got through that and then went through the you know the idle months before the end of June. I had to deal with my contract and then got to the bubbles. Yeah.
1: You've been real candid about your contract, and you know, again, as as I mentioned during the Open, I mean, you were a legend in not only Raleigh but in Hartford Thank and you. and uh, getting your start in the minors uh, yeah. with uh, Springfield, where you're from too. Yeah. Um, but how, like, how difficult was that whole experience with with the contract? Because, because it, it's you know it's funny. I remember when Chuck Hayden left Raleigh. I was like, man, like he is the Hurricanes. He yeah, was the no Whalers, and, no and I put you in that same breath. Thank you. Thank you. So how 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 hard was it? It was one of the
0: hardest things I've ever been through. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. I, I still say I'm I'm never going to get over it. Mm-hmm. I've turned the page, and I feel really good about where I'm at. When I say that, it's funny. You get some support and you hear that some people have issue with that. They're like, man, move on, will you? They mm-hmm. offered you a deal. That's the hard part about it. I did not agree with at all with the deal I was presented with. It wasn't a deal. It was, this is it. Mm-hmm. Do you want it or not? Yeah. And I felt after all that time, uh, you know, something else should have been presented. Um, we tried to reach back. We tried to. Um, deal with Tom, but Tom had his mind made up. This is how it's going to be. This is what I have to do. I respect him for that, but it ends right there. Yeah. I don't respect the decision at all. Um, because I, I never thought at my age and stat and stage of my career, it would come to this. I, I thought I'd just ride it out there. I always tried to work with them all the time. And so anyway, it gets framed a lot of different ways. There, it wasn't much of a negotiation at all. It was zero negotiation. And it wasn't me looking for a figure, outgrowing the market, wanting more national work. It wasn't anything to do with that. Um, it was basically him setting up the ground rules for him, which is his prerogative. And he has done a remarkable job with that franchise. And because of Rod and the players, they they could win the cup this year. Yeah. They're, they're that good, right? But I, I just, uh, in, in my own world, I couldn't respect it. And I still don't.
1: Yeah, the um, and now I mean, you know, their loss is Seattle's gain. Yeah, uh, I mean, to well, get somebody like you to be we'll their first out. ever, <laughs> well, <laughs> to get somebody like you to be their first ever play-by-play uh, yeah. guy, I think that's incredible. Um, how did that all come about, and, yeah. and how much does that say about your relationship that you probably had with Ron Francis? Yeah, well. You know, my contract expired and this decision was made on
0: June 30th and on July 1st, Ron called me. He's one of the first people to call me, not about the job, just to ask me how I was, mm-hmm. ask me about my wife, ask me about my kids. I have three children. They're basically grown. I have two in college and one that will be a senior in high school next year, but he wanted to know that first. And then he got around to it and then he said, listen, I'm going to introduce you to Todd Liewicki. Great guy. And yes, and, and you just have a conversation with mm-hmm. him and let's see what happens. We have some interest in you for sure, if you're interested. Of course I was, right? I mean, when you, as an announcer, when you lose a team, you've lost your lifeline. Like network, national work is tremendous. Don't get me wrong. It's Mm -hmm. a nice icing on the cake type of thing. But there aren't too many of these jobs. And when you're in a city for a long time, you really have a connection with that fan base and that franchise. So anyway, I started this dialogue with Todd on a personal front, and, uh, we went back and forth and I'll tell you what, uh, before we got to the, the crux of the matter, before we got to any kind of job offer, he, he was a therapeutic guy for me to talk to because he had been through some things in his career. He could relate to this mm-hmm. and, uh, it was basically a sounding board for me. So that, that all worked out great. It took months before it came to fruition. Uh, Tampa Bay gave me a nice offer too. And mm-hmm. I respect that organization immensely and, and Jeffrey Vinnick, who I um, had a long discussion with about this position, and they were first class too. It yeah. just didn't seem right for me with my national work, so I bowed out of that one early. And then in and around the holidays, the Seattle thing really came to life, and it was yeah. something I could not refuse.
1: And, uh, you know, as you, first of all, a Wild fan should know Todd Lawicki. Uh, Todd was the first president of the Minnesota Wild. Yeah. Um, y- y- this, As you mentioned, you have a senior, and soon to be a senior in high school. Yeah. That's going to be tough, I bet, right? Because you're yeah, not really going to ask him to move from Raleigh yeah, to no, Seattle.
0: We're not going to ask her to, to, to move. Oh, her, sorry. Yeah, that's nope. okay. Um, we're not we're not going to ask her to do that mm-hmm. and go to a place like Seattle where I have never even been. I haven't even been to Seattle once in my life. So that's how good of an opportunity this was. But we're going to let that uh, take its course get her get her out of high school see where she wants to go to college i think she might want to go out to washington and then we'll figure that out so the first year will be difficult on the home front but not when everybody's happy yeah if you upset the apple cart too much then i'm worried about how they are uh they don't care as much about me they'll be just trying to get themselves acclimated to a new place let's do that the right Mm -hmm. way so i think that's what we'll do and uh and we'll go from there
1: yeah, well you will love seattle i've been there you know i haven't been there a ton but i've been there five or six times family there uh, left on cruises there it's just an awesome. incredible place yeah. they have a lot of coffee there that's yes. that's the most Good. important thing as well Good. uh so uh you know uh, you got to go to the first ever starbucks and, and all that oh, yeah. you'll have a blast and you'll you know uh the wild's uh chief analytics uh, person there alex now works there right. too and she right. is just amazing right so you will have Right. you have fun working with a lot of the great people out well, they're working there. You look at their franchise,
0: right, Mike? Yep. I mean, they're trying to do everything right, and they're trying to be a model franchise not only for themselves but for the National Hockey League. So as an outsider looking in before I got there, I was very impressed yeah. with a lot of the things they were doing. Now that I see it firsthand, I'm just blown away.
1: Now, Jerry Bruckheimer, you, you mentioned Vinnick. You yeah. mentioned you know you've dealt with Dundon. Have yeah. you did you get to meet with Bruckheimer? I did. Uh-huh. I, I zoomed with him over the summer. That had to be a blast.
0: It was really a thrill. Yeah. It was an honor to talk to him. I was all geeked up about it. Yeah. Love his movies, obviously, yeah. as everybody does, the TV shows and so on. I knew about his affinity for hockey. Yes. But I didn't know how passionate he really was to like talk to him. We talked for almost an hour, mostly about hockey, mostly about you know him growing up and where i grew up and kind of how we both share this love for the sport not necessarily as players but as fans growing up through mm-hmm. our parents and with me through my dad same thing for him and then to see him later in life take up the game and play the game and that's been well documented about the those those guys that get together out in california and play hockey but he loves the game yeah. and his vision is is true and their ownership group is committed to uh to winning to making sure this this thing not only looks good but performs well yeah and uh you know and then ron of course that's a natural fit yeah and a lot of other people that he's brought on board i've either worked with in carolina or have known throughout my 30 plus years in the game
1: yeah we uh we're sitting outside this incredible hotel here in uh in vegas uh on a 95 degree day this is where jerry brockheimer originally tried to put an nhl team yeah. and and here we're, uh, you know, in the shadows of just a great rank and a great organization here. How much, how much tougher do you think it will be on Ron Francis to build the Seattle crack and then maybe George McPhee and the, and the, and the Vegas Golden Knights? Because I got to think that yeah. uh, there's a lot of cautionary tales that teams learn yeah. with all the strong arming in a lot of ways that George McPhee yeah. was able to do.
0: Yeah, I think they'll be very cognizant of that. That'll be difficult. I do believe, though, the way the league is, that you could put together a, form- a formidable team right off the bat. And, you know, who you're not going to go to the Stanley Cup final? Yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, who would have thought that would have happened? And now four years in, there's still an elite team. It wasn't a flash in the pan. So I, I know Ronnie feels the pressure of that. I also look at what Ron did in North Carolina with the Hurricanes, and, you know, his print is all over that all over that group right now. And so I think he learned a little bit about himself in that gig. And I think he's going to put it all together. So I trust him. Mm -hmm. I've seen it. I saw him take over a team that had nothing. Cupboard was barren, barren. And and build an organization slowly, Mm -hmm. maybe too slow for the new ownership. And then Tom came in and tweaked it a little bit with Don Waddell. And it was a perfect storm. And a lot of that had to do with Rod Brindemore being named coach. But I think Ronnie learned a few things, but also has this tremendous acumen that'll get him there. And I, I I do believe, especially in that division, they can jump in and they can compete. And, yeah. And that's all you want. You want a little bit of hope. You want to roll the clock back. We remember yeah. what it was like in the, the early least, 90s. Yeah. The South right? division, we Remember to what that yeah. was like. Yeah. And so you don't want to do that. You don't want to have five years of misery. Yeah. Not when you have, you know, over 30,000 people on a waiting list for season tickets. Yeah. So, you know, they're going to they're gonna be okay. Yeah. And I'll just leave it at that. And then we'll see what who the names are and how it pieces itself together and go from there.
1: Yeah. Different coast for you, too. I mean, yeah. that, that's going to be different for you. I mean, it's good for you my know, hockey yeah, watching. Exactly. You know, I can yeah. start at four yeah.
0: most nights and yeah. finish by 10. Yeah. So that'll be perfect for yeah. me it's t- it's difficult now to really yeah, on the East absolutely. Coast stay up and watch as much, but um, be
1: good. you know, ob- obviously, uh, you know, NBC, you know, I was, uh, man, you guys, you and Butch were in Minnesota the day after the NBC announcement yeah. a couple weeks ago yeah. uh, that that NBC was not. Uh, that the league wasn't re-upping with NBC and that it now it's going to be ESPN and TNT. Um, you are extremely popular, not only for your work with Carolina, but because so many people nationwide get to watch you all the time on national broadcasts. Is that something that you hope to continue? I hope to. Yeah, I hope there's a place for me.
0: I'm mm-hmm. not, I'm, there's no talks going on right now, but um, I hope there will be. Um, worked a long time to kind of get in that slot. And I love doing the national work. I, re- I really do, as long as I can offset it with my my regional package and Seattle contoured a deal to make it that way for me. So I have the ability to do national work. Mm-hmm. I have the ability to do, obviously that's my, uh, my first, my first direction would mm-hmm. be the Seattle Kraken, but they see that as a beacon for their franchise to have one of their personalities as a national voice too. That could be a good thing.
1: Yeah. Have they uh, looked, have they hired a color analyst yet, yet or will you be part of that? Not those yet. I, I, um,
0: they're keeping me up to date on mm-hmm. the direction in which they're headed but to, to my knowledge as of right now they it's still you know coming together are there a uh, former
1: nhlers that are that are based in seattle right now um, uh, that you know no not, the only one i can think of that's in the washington area is kevin constantine yeah uh, he, no but, uh, not to my knowledge okay
0: um you know i think that based on what's happened here uh with the national rights i think there's right. some national people that are interested which is really cool um but it's up to the Kraken to decide which direction they want to go. You, you want to go that route? You know, you already got a, an older guy and me, right? <laughs> and do you want to try somebody newer? Do you want to try a younger guy fresh off the playing ranks and, and go in that direction? We'll see.
1: Yeah. Um, a lot of every time I have a broadcaster on my podcast, a lot of aspiring broadcasters, young broadcasters listen. Um, you, you know, everybody has a different path to, to, to yeah. get to where they aspire to be you had to work your way up. I mean, you didn't just become John Forslund overnight. Nope. Uh, tell everybody your path and, and how yeah. you, how you got to be in this chair. Well, I, I think I decided when I was 10,
0: nine or 10, I wanted to do it. Um, I've told the story before when Bobby Orr scored that goal in 1970, I know exactly where I was in, in my aunt's house on mother's day, watching the game by myself, but it was Dan Kelly's cadence and the call mm-hmm. that drew me to it. It became a hobby I started doing games off the television like many young kids do as a hobby. Uh, my dad did color for me, and I did every single Bruins game, which all of them were televised back in those days on uh-huh. TV 38, that I, that I could do. And that was, my, that was my thing. In high school, I asked my guidance counselor, hey, I want to I do play-by-play in the National Hockey League, radio or television. What do you think? She said, I'm, I'm, I don't even know how to steer you in that direction. Yeah. I guess there's some schools we could look at, but... Remember, ESPN started in 1979. I graduated high school in 79. So you're basically dealing with six television stations. Right, we right. didn't have you know, this, this uh, burgeoning world that we live in today with multimedia platforms for, for professional college sports. So anyway, I went to college for something else. I took one course in broadcast journalism. It was taught by a, a news director, oddly enough, from an NBC station locally in Springfield, Mass. I, vo- I voiced over the 81 Super Bowl. 49ers, Bengals, took it real seriously, huh. came in with my charts, did the game. And he did He did two things. He, he offered me a job as, a, as an anchor at one of their sister stations out west. I was only a junior in college. And then he said, and I turned it down because I wanted to see my education through. And he said, if you ever get a chance to do this, go for it. Because you have an ability that really I don't think anybody can teach. I kept it in the back of my mind. I took an internship in Springfield in the American Hockey League at the end of my grad work. And Peter Cooney gave me an opportunity to um, broadcast. And I was there for seven years. I went to the Whalers in 1995. They made a change. I became the TV voice of the Whalers in '95, And that's it. Yeah. So I had some breaks. I had some good fortune. Um, but I worked my tail off. And I, I did a variety of jobs like most do in yeah. the American Hockey League to earn my keep. To get an opportunity to broadcast because Peter was my boss and he told me, you know, if you want to do this, that's the last thing on the list, man. Yeah. you you got to sell. you got to do the PR. you got to do group tickets for us. you got to do marketing. We had four people in the front office. So mm-hmm. I learned the business and I worked a lot of hours for zero
1: pay. It was all worth it. Yeah. In Springfield, like, I know whenever I sit down with Kenny Albert, I love the story. When oh, yeah, we were there to be, together. Yeah. He used to be roommates with Barry Trotz, yes. right? With Baltimore. Yes. Like, did you have any experiences like that? Where all of a sudden, like, some big coach now is your yeah. roommate in well, Jimmy Roberts
0: okay. was, um, you know, God rest his soul, yeah. was a big, big influence on my life. Oh, wow. And around that same time, he uh-huh. was coaching Springfield. So Kenny was there. John Kelly was there. Um, Jimmy Jackson was in mm-hmm. Utica. So a lot of people that uh, Steve Carroll was in New Haven, Dan Rusinowski was in New Haven.
1: That's San Jose, Anaheim, Philly.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, we were, that's
1: crazy. Isn't it? Isn't it
0: nuts? So in a business where they told us the odds are stacked against you, a lot of us were in the right spot generationally. There were some changes made and that's starting to happen now again for younger broadcasters. And, you know, we were able to get jobs and I got turned down by so many different teams. I thought it was over. And Jimmy, uh, really helped me a lot. Bobby Orr helped me a lot. Eddie Johnston. Mm-hmm. I mean, they gave me an opportunity to break in with the Whalers. And of course, the biggest the biggest factor in my career was when Peter Carmanis bought the team. Jim Rutherford came on and, and took over the day-to-day operation. Mm-hmm. And he's the guy
1: that gave me the opportunity yep. to do this. One of my favorite people in the game. Yeah, me too. And so when they relocated to Raleigh, there was no doubt in your mind you were going with the team. Well, man. it's funny. My okay. contract had a year to go
0: and uh, uh, Fred Cusick... 40 years plus, retired as the voice of the Bruins. And he was asked in the Boston Herald, who should be your successor? And he, and I didn't know Fred. As a matter of fact, I was afraid to talk to Fred whenever he came into Hartford. A little bit intimidated because I grew up watching and listening to him along with Bob Wilson. Um, so I kept my, my, my distance from Fred. And he was you know, near the end of his career. He'd come in, do the game, and leave and uh, really not say hello to many people. Terrific broadcaster, Hall of Famer, obviously. But anyway, he said John Forslund in Hartford. So TV 38 had a split deal. 38 did the road games. Nesson did the home games. Dale Arnold was brought in to do the Nesson package. And Dave Shea, Sean McDonough, and myself were the finalists for that 38 gig. Jimmy said, please give me an audience. I was up in Maine where we stayed in the summer. Come down to North Carolina, and I did. And he basically sat me down and said, listen, I'd really like you to do this. Um... I don't want to put pressure on you, but you have a year left. I'll let you go if you want, if you get it. But i really like you to come here. And I called my wife, and I said, we're going to North Carolina. Wow. It was the best thing we ever did. Yeah. So we raised our three children there. We had a long life there, 24-plus seasons uh, with work stoppages along the way. But um, a tremendous body Mm -hmm. of work and a tremendous place to live. Stanley
1: Cup, Stanley Cup final. Yeah um you know started off in greensboro while, yes. the, while the arena was being built right i actually loved i was like with the few one greensboro? of the rare guys that likes oh, yeah. going to that greensboro great Coliseum. Building. yeah it was yeah. great yeah um it was just awesome uh it was just you know, i don't know it was just something about that bit that building with the like aqua blue seats or like it was oh, almost yeah. like dolphin dolphin like dolphins colors it was a huge beautiful. building yeah. Too. yeah it was yeah and then obviously in raleigh um I have buddies there that are huge fans of yours, uh, the Schaefer brothers. Uh, actually, their dad used to be the Notre Dame uh, uh, hockey coach in the Alaska okay. Fairbanks, Rick Schaefer. Yeah. So Reed, Rolf, and Ross, uh, uh, two of them, live down in Raleigh. Um, so they wanted me to ask you where that your your that's hockey baby call. Where did yeah, that come from?
0: That was organic. That uh-huh. just came out one night, and um, luckily, some of these things, you know, I don't think of them that much. Um, the, the hey hey what do you say i did it yep. goes a long way back That's hockey baby just came out one night so i started using it over and over again and then i wrestled with it this year okay so i don't do a local package right. anymore what do i do well i've i've dropped it in because i'll tell you what mike i don't say it until i really think the play's mm-hmm. knocked me out of out, yeah. out of my chair got me up on my feet yep. so it has to be that kind of a play so i've used it you know in national games you got to be careful with it um, you, you don't want to show too much love to one side. It's a 50-50 split based on your audience. But I think it works, yep. and I think it's a, it, it basically says what it is. It's the beauty of the game. That's hockey, baby. And it can be applied in so many ways. We say it all the time, when coaches get fired, when players get traded, when things don't work out, what's the phrase? That's hockey. Yep. Right. That's that's the way it is. Absolutely. And it kind of explains something you can't explain. Yep. But when you see that spectacular play, which we see often now with these young kids, the way they play, um, why not? Yeah. Like that just gets me excited. Yeah. I hope the viewers get excited yeah. too. Hey, hey, what do you say? Where'd that come from? That came from my father. Really? So my father used You're color to say, analyst. My color guy used to say it. Um, and so I fired him when he was, when I was 16, <laughs> cause he was not preparing enough for me. But anyway, he say that if he met you as a salesman, I uh, coached us in little league baseball. You'd say it all the time. But anyway, I received my first paycheck in 1985, January, 1985. Uh-huh. And the next day, I uh, worked the game that night at home and he was at the game. He, he and my mom had tickets and they were at the game and they went home and I went out with my fiance, now my wife. And I never got to see him after the game. He passed away that morning in his sleep Aww. at 59, at my age. Um, suddenly, I gave him CPR. I was living at home at the time. Failed. Um, horrible experience. Yeah. So I wrestled with a way to to on the buses, you know, to kind of honor him. So I just used it once on a goal, and then I decided, you know what, I'm going to stamp a game when I think the game is over. I'm going to say it. And so I did. That's and I never amazing. told anybody why until when they won back to back Calder Cups in eighty nine and ninety, uh, 90, ninety ninety one it was. Um, reporters asked me about it and I told the story. That was what an incredible story. Yeah, that's yeah, that's, that's why that's lovely. and so people some people cynically have have taken issue with it, it's hokey, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, you hear about it today with Twitter and all. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. It's for my father. No, absolutely.
1: That's it. <laughs> you know it's uh, the wild have a uh, one of their security person right in front of their door is a guy named Wes great guy um, he does this thing with his ear at the whenever gorgs doing a sideline hit and it's all it's always it's to honor his mom he used to do it wow. when his mom was sick that's great to let him know to let her know that that he was thinking of her that's great and then when she passed away he continued doing it that's um, great. so i just uh, it's amazing and it's amazing stories looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone You've worked with a ton of color guys. I yeah. got to think that, you know, obviously you work with trips, so you have this in, uh, immense chemistry with him down in, in Raleigh. But when you do NBC, it's sort of like, you know, you're Boucher last week, tomorrow on NBC you're going to be with with Twitterless Joe Micheletti, as I like to call him, and Pierre <laughs> Maguire. I always say that because, uh, so it, at the Stanley Cup final in Nashville, I had wow. dinner with him and Liz, Linda Cohn. Yeah. And, uh, and the whole meal I was trying to get him to join Twitter and uh because Never. pat pat yeah. so he's on it right? he's prolific on twitter yeah. almost more so than me so yeah. i was trying to i was trying to get him to do it but uh but he wouldn't do it so ever since i call him twitterless joe um but uh how, how does how's like it's got to be uh like even in, in minnesota yeah. Uh, you know, Anthony LaPanta works with Wes Walls, Ryan Carter, Mark Parrish, Gigi Marvin, Lunani, Boo, you know, it can yeah. be a different yeah. person each night. And yeah. I got to think as a play-by-play guy, you have to know the tendencies of the people you're talking that you're with yeah. to know how to get them involved in the show.
0: And they have to be really good. Yeah. And so both those things have to be in play. Yes, as a play-by-play guy, uh, a play caller, you know, you're the setup man. You're trying to make sure you lead them in the right direction. They, they spike the ball. But they have to be really proficient at their jobs to make it work. And we're lucky to have so many great guys at NBC. But in my career, I've worked with, right from the very beginning, my very first full-time partner was Daryl Ray, Mm -hmm. who's a dear friend of mine. And and, uh, we only worked one season together. And we've done some uh, national work, not as much lately, but... uh, we we've had an we've had an opportunity to uh, cross paths that way, but Trip and I started together the second year of the Hurricanes, nineteen ninety eight. Um, forged a for lack of a better term, a marriage that uh, mm-hmm. was rocky sometimes and at other times harmonious. By and large, I've watched him grow. I've watched him you know take his abilities to another level. Um, really good for that market. A really good niche there with the, with the Kaniacs. Um, And then, of course, uh, you know, I had Billy Gardner for a season in Hartford after Razor left. And then all of the national people that I've worked with. uh, And most recently with Eddie, Pierre, Bush, Jonesy. uh, It goes on and on. And the new people, Anson Carter, who's uh, coming out of the studio more now to do some games. Dominic Moore, who's brand new this season. Uh, Bright Future uh, has an excellent way of of articulating what he sees. Harvard boy. Not Yeah, of course. Not too far removed from the game as a player. Um, succinct, which is a skill. If you come by it naturally, that's even better because this is a business where if you get way too verbose, uh, it's over. So, uh, you know, I think he does a really good job with that. So, A.J. Malesko, um, I've done a ton of work with her playoff series. Um, she wants to uh, uh, continue down this path and should. Uh, she's got a ton of talent great playing experience, role model, uh, you know, all these things. So at the national level, that's what you're dealing with, too. You're dealing with not only people that I think are excellent at their jobs, but also are, are role models for young hockey players and 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 people that aspire to do what mm-hmm. we do.
1: The um, By the way, uh, speaking of uh, prolific Micheletti, what do, what do you know? I got a uh, tweet from him. From Pat? Yep, yeah, says, uh, ask him how much he enjoyed calling the 1986 Springfield Indians led by f- Coach Fred Creighton and player assistant Gord Lane. Was Pat on that
0: team? Yeah, Pat, Pat was on that team. Pat was uh, unlike his brother, Joe, very nice man. <laughs> um, Pat was probably as nice to me at that stage of my career.
1: By the way, this as, doesn't shock me because- As anybody. Uh, yeah, like uh, Pat's uh, son, Alex, who's uh, basically, my gift guy at the athletic. He's become yep. that. He couldn't be the nice, like, he's the nicest human yeah, being yeah. I've ever met. They're a
0: great family. Uh, yeah. And um, Pat right away uh, took a liking to me and treated me with respect. I've never forgotten it. Yeah. It was an odd group. It was an Islander North Star split. You had Tim Coolis. You had uh, Terry Martin. You had uh, Carrie Taco in goal. You, I'm trying to think of all these North Stars, Tim Trimper. And then you had these Islander guys who were coming off Stanley Cups but started the downward spiral. Right. And then you had Fred Creighton, who coached the Bruins. I was well aware of him. I was well aware of him when he coached the Atlanta Flames back in the day. I wasn't aware of what this was all about till I had to work with them side by side. Um, tough, tough, intimidating for me. But again, harden me up and harden me up in a business where you need to be hard, especially in terms of what I do. Um, it was a great learning experience. And that team was eliminated, I believe, on the second to last night of the regular season. And it should have been a better team than it was. It just was fractured in a lot of ways. And that was Freddie's last year coaching. And right. he just kind of walked off into the sunset.
1: Um by the way, I, I, I grabbed my phone because my uh, my laptop fried in the sun. Hopefully, it turns on later. Okay. Uh, so I subtly, <laughs> uh, uh, John, being the pro he was, uh, the, the long story he was giving yeah, me I was, time to I like was stretching. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, here's a great uh, question from Caprice of Club, is, I believe who? Uh, yep, Caprisov Club. Um, what's your favorite call that you've made on the wild? Uh, the first one that, that comes to his mind is your Nita Nieder, Nieder, your Writer and yep. your Jared Spurgeon. So the Spurgeon tying goal and the Writer yes. winning goal on 14. Yeah, that was great. That was, that was that's great. That's your most memorable that you remember but, on the wild. Okay. Two
0: weeks ago, Monday night. Caprice off Carril. Yep. With another thrill. Yeah. And I know everybody's using it. Yeah. But that was sensational. Yeah. And so I've been able to call, um, a few of his highlights already. Yeah. Um, and I love them. So I, I think
1: there's more in yeah. store, obviously. Yeah, and Monday night you were in Minnesota for that game, no, right? No, we that, that was on studio. the okay, that, that was, was studio. on the monitor. So yeah. I've been
0: I've been to the building twice this year. Right, I was there for uh, Dylan Coglin one, two, three natural yep. hat trick, yep. first three goals in his career that game. And uh, let's see, was and it a the St. Louis the game? game? Yep,
1: yeah, it was St. Louis with Bouch. Is That the game that the Wild that they rallied back. They, and beat the Wild. That's yeah. right, they yeah. rallied
0: back in that yeah. one. The other, the other game was uh, Edzo and I, yeah. and oddly enough, that was the the day. ESPN news yes. broke. Yeah. So every time I've been to Minnesota, something's happened yeah. with this I wa- package. I
1: walked in. T- I walked yeah. in to like s- see you guys on the last trip, you and Bush, and I'm like, "Hey, what's going on?" And being the idiot that I am, and you're like, "Oh, not much," you know, like, <laughs> just uh, just lost my job yesterday. Sorry. Like, uh, yeah, it was uh, typical Russo, not being exactly right. uh, good to see you. Yeah. <laughs> I felt bad for Bush. Bush was like, "Yeah, nothing's going on. No, no big deal." I know. Yeah. So. Uh, um let's see uh what's something that you, you do to prepare for calling games that might surprise the average fan this is from Ralph
0: I don't know I I don't think there's anything about it that's surprising mm-hmm. I think what's what's interesting maybe read the athletic uh, uh, cover to cover <laughs> yeah. some more than others <laughs> um but but I but I would say that you know and I will say let me before I answer the question you and many others are, are huge helps to us based on your coverage because especially in the national front, you can't fake it. You can't come in and do a national game and think, you know, everything about the two teams, you just have to know enough to get through it, to make it credible so that the local audience thinks that you are okay. Yeah, that's all you're looking for and then deliver the game as it is and take the game where it needs to go. But over the years, you've done such a great job in all your stops thorough as it gets and don't ever lose that Yeah, it you. helps us. It helps us. But getting back to the, the prep, the prep, there's nothing earth shattering about it other than it's very methodical. So same system, every single game, if it's a preseason game or if it's game seven of a final series, mm-hmm. um, if it's a winter classic, if it's, if it's some spectacular uh, game, I have the same routine. For every game, right? If I if I treat it any differently, I'm I'm lost. Yeah. If I start thinking, well, wow, this is a this is a big game tonight. No, uh, first game of the season. If it, if it's in preseason,
1: is uh is a big one. So it's methodical. I think yeah. that would shock some people. Seth asks, uh, what's the most important thing you learned from working with Chuck Hayton uh, I mean, during your uh, time I mean, there? mean, with
0: with Chuck, it was uh, admiring him before I got there, understanding, you know. Um, the legendary status he had in his craft, most importantly, we're like brothers and I never had a brother, only have one sister. And so he became like a brother and I still, I still hold him that way in in my mind. Um, he he taught me the ropes. He got me around the league. He showed me everything, where to go, how to behave, where the press boxes are, where to eat dinner. Yeah. These things sound maybe trite, but they're important. And, uh. And so I'll never forget our time yeah. together, our social time together. Yeah.
1: you know how you were you were saying um, before I forget who the context was that you were that you said that how much that person treated with you respect. Oh, Pat McIlletty, and how he treated with you respect, and you've never forgotten it. I think of that all the time. I think maybe getting older, especially when you try to help out young kids now, you always try to you know to say, "All right, you know what? You gotta remember, everybody's starting out." And I'm the same way. And Chuck is one of those people that I, I'll never forget when I was some young young 20-something fat punk covering the Florida Panthers, thinking I knew everything, but yet deep down scared to death and not feeling confident and all that stuff. I'll never forget all those Carolina-Florida games when back then they were playing eight times a year and how great Chuck used to treat me. He never treated me like a child. And you you remember people like that. And I remember sitting there at the 2010 um, uh, Helsinki uh, games. We were... Uh, I don't think the TV guys got to go, right? No, I, uh, did,
0: I did those games in Stanford for yeah. versus. Yeah. yeah, and
1: so Chuck did go, yeah. and Bob Kurtz and Tom Reed were there right. too. And we used to go to dinner in Helsinki before those, before those like during that whole week leading up to the games. And I just remember listening to Chuck and Tom Reed and Bob Kurtz talk old-time hockey and just being like, I wish that I was videotaping this for yeah. everybody to hear it because he's, yeah. he's an encyclopedia, and these people from yesteryear that have yeah. seen this game yeah. From long before I was involved, yeah. you—it's—it's it's yeah. a privilege.
0: It really is. Yeah, and you know he was able to mark time from day one. Yeah. in the NHL with the Whalers, and uh, Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer and just a remarkable professional that way. But I think when you get to know people and you see the human side. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's how lucky we yeah. are, right? Yeah. That's how lucky we are, and that's where it gets to another place. Yeah. And most of the stuff that I look back upon with Chuck is all social.
1: Yeah, he he worked without a color guy, pretty much predominantly. Right? Yeah, and even when I worked with him, he worked yeah. without a color guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. Because during yeah. the Stanley Cup final, you guys worked yeah. together, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, um,
0: but he was great with me. Gracious, he gave me he gave me room to work when mm-hmm. I worked with him. And I think one of the greatest nights we ever had was June 19th, 2006, Game 7. Yep. Uh, no local television, no national work for me at that time in my career. Um, so I did color at conference finals yeah. and the finals with him. And my son was uh, nine years old at the time. So he's about the same age I was when I got hooked into hockey with Bobby Orr in that goal in 1970. But anyway, no seats for Matthew. That's my son. So he was, you know, suit, red tie sitting right next to me in the booth. And then uh, the game ended. I saw the tears coming down Chuck's yeah. face. And uh, he, he was done with his call. And I had to explain what was happening. My son, I had him in a headlock. And I remember the fans looking back at us and they were crying. And I wish that every franchise and every fan base has that opportunity. Yeah, And the so hard to get. And you look at the Buffaloes. Minnesota's been at it a while. Vancouver. Uh, up until recently, St. Louis, you look at these cities yeah. and how long it's been and you don't get that opportunity. Yeah. Raleigh, even though they had the 10 year drought, pretty lucky to have the runs that they've had. Yeah. So that's that's special. And and the fans just uh, the emotion
1: of that moment. I think that's the one thing I'll always remember that yeah. night with Chuck. Yeah. And that night, uh, you know, that picture was an in infamy. You know, the, Matt Cullen and Kevin Adams and Brett Hedick, all those guys yeah. that I knew from Florida, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know what? Another really cool picture is seeing Mike Sunheim in there. Yeah. You know, the PR guy that's been in Raleigh forever. Yeah. A young Mike Sunheim now. Yeah. Now he's got the frosted and Kyle hair. Hanlon, <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. And it's but, just
0: really cool. But I'll tell you what, the, the 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 um the the credit for all of that goes to Peter Laviolette in terms of the oneness. He brought that organization together. Um, not only the players, but the wives and the mm-hmm. parents and the and the neighbors. And I mean this thing had mushrooms so big with the tailgate from the start of the playoffs to the end um, everyone in Raleigh felt like they were on the train together yeah and I think that's what was special and the hurricanes pushed for families to be on the ice much to the chagrin yeah. of the league at the time now it's a thing now it's a thing yeah and they were the first ones that said <sighs> and even when the league pushed back a little bit, You know, if everybody's being fair here and tells the truth, the league was like, we don't want you to do that. And Jim Rutherford said, we're doing it. Yeah. We're opening the doors and these people are coming on the ice, whether you like it or not. And it was one of the most magnificent spectacles we've ever seen.
2: Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick Sporting Goods.
1: A uh, final segment, John, um, uh, You know, I, I, man, I just even you talking about Carolina back then just makes me, uh, you know, appreciate how cool those teams were. They, and they didn't, they almost did it the right way. It's like they either went to the finals or then they lost and got like top picks. Right. It (laughs) was just, you know, the stalls and the cam wards of the world. It's just so funny um, how they did it. Let's talk about the postseason. Now, uh, full disclosure, we're we're recording this uh, before game one. This is going to run between games one and two. So we don't know how Sunday's game is going to go by the time you hear, hear this. But uh, starting with this series, um, you know, the Wild have had their way with uh, Vegas in the regular season. Yeah. Uh, playoffs, different animal. This team's uh, playoff tested, yep. uh, want, you know, went to the Stanley Cup final, went to the conference final last year. Um, what, what do you make of this series?
0: Intriguing. Um, I mean, you look at the season series, um, you know, we can never draw a link between whatever happens in a regular season and what will happen in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But maybe this is the year you can because of the fact that we had divisional scheduling. And these teams saw each other so much. So when you play a team eight times, I don't know. You tell me. Um, if you have success against that team over an eight-game segment, do you have confidence? Yeah. You think you would? You think so? They're not four games or five mm-hmm. games spread out over yeah. six months, with you know games sprinkled in, and you're getting a team tired and uh, all of this. This was pretty much straight up. You had the you had the series aspect of the whole thing where you played teams on consecutive nights or a Monday Wednesday scenario. So I think the Wild have a built-in confidence against this team. But this team, Vegas, is special and can run the table. So can Colorado. So can the Minnesota Wild. And I think there's about nine or ten teams of the 16, legitimately, you could say. I think you could say it about everybody if they, they get some luck. But, I mean, if you're going to tell me Montreal Canadiens are going to win the Stanley Cup, I'd say, come on now, we have to, we have to stop this at some point, Right. <laughs> But I think the Wild have a built-in confidence. I mean, I, uh, their team game's extraordinary. Uh, Goaltending, you know, should we be concerned based on what happened down the stretch a little bit? I don't know. I don't know how to view these games down the stretch. Who was checked out, who wasn't. It was exactly. it was weird, in a yeah. weird season. Yeah. Okay. But now I think the season becomes very
1: real to the players. So it's
0: all about the wild containing Vegas' best push, which comes tomorrow.
1: Right, absolutely. And that's right. the key. And, and you could tell. I mean, they are going to come motivated yeah. the Golden Knights. I mean, when, they're t- when, when Mark Stone, every press conference, talks about Brian Reeves coming back and, and yeah. going to shut the wild up, you know, it shows you that the wild are in their head because I don't think anybody would ever look at the wild as a heavy team by any stretch, but there's no. something they, they 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 do like to chirp. That's yep. clear. Yep. It's gotten under Mark Stone's uh, skin. But they do have guys in your that play in your face hockey. Yeah. You know, the Erickson X, the Felinos, the Hartmans, they they rub people the wrong way just by not even playing in a physical way, but just always being there. That's what Erickson Eck does to right. just drive players crazy. Right. And that
0: line has been together yeah. most of the season, yep. right? Yep. And so when you have an identifiable line, you're already on to something. And if that line does what they need to do, then each shift on the bench, starting in game one, be like, okay, boys. Yeah. We're here. Yeah. We could do We survived the push. Mm -hmm. You know, Talbot makes a couple of big saves. You get a kill. I mean, the thing about Vegas, as you know, they come out of the chute in this building like no other team. Yeah. They, they, they're, right from the beginning of their existence yep. they were all about scoring first they're all about scoring the first five minutes and then just a run and run show yeah um DeBoer is an excellent coach who yep. has, also has a real strong team game in place unbelievable back end yeah. great goaltending this is going to be a fun series yeah. to watch but i think i think the confidence factor if it's able to uh, cultivate and grow
1: it'll be interesting to see where it takes a while yeah um and by the way, we're winging it now because now my phone died because of the sun. So, okay. uh, so now we're really out-living. Now I'm going to show you if I'm a professional or not. You are, um, the, uh, I think. Yeah. The, the one thing about this uh, Vegas team, too, is Reddy has been somebody that has killed the Wild this year. And yeah. and he's not. He, it looks like right. he's not going to be available for game one. Right. But they're, it looks like they're getting Noshik back. They're getting Reeves back. Uh, Martinez practiced today, I believe. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Which is But a lot. they're banged up.
0: Yeah, they are banged up. Yep. So that's always a huge factor. I think they need. Pacioretty. Yeah. Um, You know, they they need his goal scoring. They need him to complete that line. He needs to complete the first line that has two elite players and is getting by with with all due respect, a, a second or third line center, yeah. and they have one of the best first lines in the game. So yeah. they're the only team in the league yeah. that can say that. Yeah. Chandler Stevenson yeah. centers this top line. Yeah, well, the re-
1: Victor, uh, the, Some uh, Wild fans would tell you that the Wild have had that all year with Victor Rask. Well, the, the Wild, I think, are one to four. Yeah, yeah. I think you can't. Uh, maybe the
0: fourth line, you can put a number on it. But I, I've watched them enough to to say they have that great yeah. thing that Scotty Bowman used to talk about all the time. Don't don't number my lines. Yeah, pretty hard when he threw out La Lafleur and shut. Yeah, but he was the one that said it all the time, um, and I think that's a good thing for Minnesota, and it's right in the wheelhouse of the coach. Yeah, and uh, who's done a remarkable job.
1: Yeah. By the way, you know something? Uh, somebody told me also is that you you're one of those people in your headset. You like you you dial up the sound, right? You want yeah. You want to yeah. hear? I fight the What's going on? Yeah. 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 So I love I love, uh, high-end, a lot of high-end. I like to hear the
0: crowd. I like to hear the ice effects. And I like it jammed up high so I can fight it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty neat. Yeah. And a lot of guys don't like yeah. that. They want it guys silent, just right? Just themselves. Right. They can hear themselves enunciate. And the producer. I'm not like that. Well, you always yeah. hear the producer. Yeah, yeah, You always hear the producer. But I like it that way. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. pretty
1: neat. Um, the... Uh, I don't want to put you on the spot, but like you, you, you're going to be doing a lot of games. So I know you've prepped for a lot of things. What do you think? Who do you think's maybe the one dark horse that's going to surprise us? Because you know, the I, I, like, like part of me still thinks St. Louis, but maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. I mean, St. Louis is playing well down the stretch. Um, they're a good team, yeah. They're a good. Team. I, you know, it seems like they're they're playoff tested. It seems like they're coming on when it matters. Wouldn't that be something? I
0: had them against Colorado quite a bit mm-hmm. this year in and around their COVID thing, the second right. COVID go around. So it's hard to say where it was. The one game was really competitive on a Wednesday night in St. Louis. They all had been vaccinated on the previous Monday. Yep. They all had this mysterious flu, side effects or whatever. Yeah. They still played well, but I watched them and I watched them close out their season, you know, albeit against LA, but man, high octane. Yeah, Like it's just, it's unbelievable. So, at the start of the season, I had picked Colorado, and I had picked Tampa Bay. A lot of people did. Yep. I don't vary too much on that. Minnesota's my dark horse in the west, uh, western division. I don't have a dark horse in that north division. Um, Winnipeg baffles me. Yeah, I think I'm, they should be better than they are. Yeah, it's weird. Maybe they will be. Um, I'm a, not a big fan of Edmonton team-wise. Two unbelievable players. Wow. Uh, goaltending and all of that, I I don't know. Uh, Toronto's good. And then Toronto could be the freshest team to get to the four. Central division's intriguing. Um, I've seen every Carolina game just about. Um, They're outstanding. They need to be pushed to another level, though. They're they're almost too good for their own good at one point during the season. They were winning games when they weren't playing right. They're winning games based on their power play. They're winning games dominating a division. I mean, I thought – Anyway you slice it, Tampa Bay, Carolina, Florida would be one, two, three in that bracket. Surprise at Nashville. So the four in the east, nobody's a dark horse for me. They're all good. I've had Pittsburgh a ton this year. I think Sullivan has done a remarkable job, should be coach of the year in my opinion. Um, and then there's Nashville. Can they beat Carolina? Nine out of ten will tell you no, and I'd probably go that way but it wouldn't surprise me if that's our upset. Yeah. Really. If we have an upset in the, in the first round, it might be a situation for the hurricanes, just like it was in Oh six. They had to lose the first two games to Montreal fall behind in Montreal in game three, go to cam ward and then poof off. They went, um, I think they'll get pushed hard by the Preds. I like their fourth line. I like their team game. Their goaltending has been off the charts. Their D is sound. Yossi's at another level. Um, so that's going to be an interesting series to watch.
1: Florida have any chance against Tampa Bay? They do
0: because uh-huh. I don't think Tampa is uh, clicking, um, but they can find it. And then, of course, there's Vasilevsky. So I'm always going to bet on the best goalie. So I still think Tampa Bay will beat them, but I think it will be a, a real tough series. and It will be interesting to see you know what kind of juice um, the winner has yeah. for the next level. And that's why I say if Carolina is successful, you know – Maybe Florida and Tampa Bay exhaust themselves, Mm -hmm. and that's all part of the playoffs, as you know. Yep. So uh, Sunday you do a noon game. Will you leave right after? Yeah, I'm leaving. Well, we're leaving in the evening, and then I have Colorado-St. Louis game one from the studios in Stanford on Monday.
1: And then Tuesday, (laughs) I'm at Pittsburgh. Islanders Pittsburgh yeah so is that just because like will Denver not allow you in the building yeah it has a lot to do with uh because you know you're flying over Denver I know but (laughs) but we got to do that
0: Pittsburgh game too right right. so I think it's a way to to cover it all yeah and as you know we cover it all at NBC so every single playoff game whether we're allowed in the market or not it's up to the the market I guess but oftentimes we are in simultaneously against the regional but uh, we don't have exclusivity until on the weekends
1: in second round, yeah. we do. You've, you've, you've had to have... Didn't you have a major travel issue a couple of years ago? Didn't you get stranded in Dallas or something on the way to California? Yeah, it's the only game I ever missed. Yeah, what was that again? Yeah, so I was coming from...
0: I feel like where. it was a
1: wild game, though. Yeah, it or could have I...
0: been... It could have been... Or it was Toronto. Okay. Could have been coming from Toronto through Dallas to get to Anaheim. Yeah, it was Anaheim. We were in And Anaheim. I ran, 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 and the plane was just taking off. Yeah. And uh, it's the only game I ever missed. Yeah. But there have been a lot of
1: delays... Like, of, like on a day like tomorrow, if the game's in double, triple overtime. Or flight's just, late, so yeah. red-eye. Oh, okay.
0: So we'd have to have an epic, yeah,
1: yeah. epic game yeah, for that to be not, jeopardy. I have uh, dinner reservations yeah, tomorrow, it's all about me yeah, as usual. I hear you. Um, hey, uh, you know, as usual, uh, John, I, I just always love sitting down and talking hockey with you. Thank you, you Michael. Um, you know, I wish you a lot of luck in Seattle, too. But, I, uh, but, man, I would just give anything to see on ESPN or TNT as well, because I just think that's where... A lot of people have respected, uh, you know, thank learned you. to respect you that you're just not in that one little niche market in the Southeast. I've, I learned that in Florida that, you know, sometimes you got yeah, to get into a bigger scale. It's hard to emerge yeah. from that,
0: you know, and I yeah. thank Sam Flood for giving me those opportunities yeah. and uh, very proud of what we all did at NBC over the years and we'll see where the new packages go.
1: Final uh, thought uh, what's your, if you had to give one young broadcaster listening to this advice, what would it be?
0: Well, I think it's something that everyone's heard, but please understand the um, the importance of this is to carve out your own identity. Because like being a performer, singer, actor, actress, we're all influenced by people, writer. You all have influences, but you have to carve out your own niche. You have to be yourself. And I didn't learn that until I got deeper into my career. I was trying to be Joe Broadcaster when I started. Mm -hmm. I was trying to impress the listeners or the viewers with all this knowledge I had all these statistics and I prepped like you wouldn't believe for this game. And you're about to find out by watching this thing and you know what, or or imitating someone else, um, car, figure out who you are and stay with it and then just be as diligent as possible. It's a tough business. Um, but if you want it bad enough, you'll get there. And so many people say that, but it is true. But I really believe you have to find out who you are and be your own person. Yeah. And, um, again, that didn't happen for years for me. Yeah. And, then it, and then it finally kind of kicked in. And, um, and and a lot of people helped me with
1: that. So yeah. I'm glad they did. That's awesome. Yeah. That's how I feel with writing even too. It's like, we yeah. all have our own writer's voice and you can't, I can't write outright Michael Farber, right? Right. I mean, but, but he's already it, been Michael yeah, Farber. Yeah. Exactly. So why would you want to be, exactly.
0: well, geez, just like Michael Farber. Yeah, no, he's
1: like Michael Russo.
0: Yeah. That's the way it yeah. should be, you no. know? And if people say that about me, I'm flattered by it, but that's what I think. Dan Kelly was a huge influence for me. Fred Cusick, huge influence. What little bit I got of Bob Cole, but I got it later. I really enjoyed, and you know, those are major influences in terms of play calling. Uh, Pat Summerall and other yeah. sports because of his concise nature and how he was—he was really good by using very few words. I really like that, um, but I can't be that. Yeah, you can't. I, you can't emulate that. You can't. Be the copycat of that yep. there's only one doc emrick Yep. you know there's yeah. only there's only one and sure there's influence there too and let me say this there's a there's an individual who has helped me a great deal yeah. professionally before i got to know him and now that i've gotten to know him a uh, great man yeah and uh we all we all are lucky that we yeah. had to be lawyers on his yep. career
1: and another guy that just takes care of the young broadcaster sure does. i can't tell you how many times sure does. I've, I've brought some young broadcaster yep. just i'll oh, give him my email yeah, you know, like that. Just have them send time him, for so everybody. It's crazy. Yep. It's amazing. Hey, John, a lot of, a lot of fun. And looking forward to you, seeing Mike. you in the broadcast booth tomorrow here at T-Mobile Arena. Talk to you tomorrow. Thank you. And always podcasts throughout our network. Uh, you can hear Craig Custance and Sean Gentile debut the Athletic Hockey Show Tuesday edition. Their first guest, Ryan Miller, uh, this week. Uh, Don Waddell, the GM of the Carolina Hurricanes, joins Scott Burnside and Pierre LeBron on the two-man advantage edition of the Athletic Hockey Show on Wednesday. And Aaron Andrews. Spends the full 60 with Craig Custance on the season finality of the full 60. That's Thursday at The Athletic. Check out our comment section for each podcast episode of The Athletic app and rate and subscribe to Straight From The Source on Apple. If you aren't already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash Straight From The Source and receive a subscription for just $3.99 per month.